listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. Um, I want to get into this today because um, I want to talk about how, as a young boy, all the way coming up through my college age, I got a chance to meet a lot of these uh, powerful men of God that really shook the world. And that's not a, that is not an exaggeration by any means. These men shook the known world. And um, I'm, I'm referring to, and you say, well, which, which ones did you meet? Well, uh, because of my father and his ministry, I had an opportunity to spend uh, time with uh, Brother R.W. Shambach, for one, who was a powerful man of God. If you're not familiar with Brother Shambach, he was uh, a tent revivalist, evangelist, traveled all over the world, set his tent up in the inner cities of America, had revivals. He'd have thousands of people come uh, to the revivals that uh, in, under the tent where he'd set it up in the different na- uh, cities of our nation and saw many, many healing miracles. I mean, like many healing miracles. If you go back and Google, you'll find that he was an associate in the early days to another healing evangelist whose name was A.A. Allen, powerful man of God during what what was called the Voice of Healing movement in the United States, and um, who also saw many, many miracles, demons cast out, tons of of manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And so I got to spend time with uh, Brother Shambach, watch him, watch his ministry, watch his life. And um, I learned so many things from him. And then on top of that, um, I had an opportunity to meet T.L. Osborne a couple of times and uh, speak with him, who, if you're not familiar with T.L. Osborne, um, held mass crusades in over 80 nations of the world. And when I say mass crusades, I'm talking, uh, when you look out onto the field, you just see a a sea of people going in every direction. Uh, As far as you can see, people being saved, people being healed, and really opened up the door for crusade evangelism Uh, to a lot of people that are still doing it today. And then on top of T.L. Osborne, I got to meet and sit under uh, Brother Kenneth Hagin before he went home to be with Jesus. And um, the Bible school that I attended, Rhema Bible Training Center, which is now Rhema Bible College, I believe, um, was the school that he founded. And the years that I attended, 2000 to 2001, and then 2001 to 2002 were the uh, last years, really, that he taught in the Bible school before he passed away in 2003. And so I got to, uh, I got to sit under his ministry. Uh, he laid hands on me uh, a couple of times and, uh, and received from him watching his life. And then later on in my life, I got an opportunity to uh, meet Dr. Reinhard Bonnke, who Dr. Bonnke was, love you too, Dr. Bonnke could arguably be the greatest evangelist, talking about results, you know, 
the results of his ministry, the fruit of his ministry, could be the greatest evangelist possibly that ever lived on the face of the earth, who in just the last 15 years of his ministry saw over 60 million salvations, 60 million salvations in one nation. And so um, just an amazing, amazing man of God. And I've gotten to meet many others, you know, and spend time with many others, you know, around this nation, in other nations. I've had an opportunity to uh, spend time with men that, that have shaken their nation. Um, I'm thinking about uh, my friend uh, in Jamaica, Dr. Delford Davis, who not only has the largest Christian work, Holy Ghost Christian work on the island of Jamaica, but in all of the Caribbean, in all of the Caribbean islands, largest ministry has shaken his island, has shaken, uh, not, not, I'm not talking about shaking his city, I'm talking about shaking the nation. And um, the government's been affected by his ministry. Uh, it's just supernatural what, what God has done through these types of men. And so, um, thank you, Pastor Kim. So just watching their lives, just watching them, learning from them, gleaning uh, principles as much as you can, it's important to take away um, what they've learned and then learn how to apply these things to your own life. So what I'm going to share with you today, uh, these things that I'm going to share with you can all be applied to your personal life. Uh, these men of God <clears throat> who shook the world are using principles and lived by principles that you can easily incorporate into your life and it'll cause you to rise to another level as well. That's why that we always, and the Bible encourages to, us to do this, is to watch those that have gone before us. Watch those that have gone before us and learn from those who have obtained the promises of God. No question. Learn from those that have obtained the promises of God and learn how they live their life. In fact, Paul the Apostle said multiple times, uh, follow me as I follow Christ. In another passage, he said, imitate me, imitate my way of living. And then in another passage, he writes and says, when I can't be with you, I'm going to send my son Timothy to you who will teach you how to live like I live. So notice that the importance was Timothy's coming to you to teach you how to emulate my lifestyle. That was the whole point. Follow me as I follow Christ. Imitate me. Timothy's coming to teach you how to live like I live. So it's a scriptural principle to be able to watch those that have had victory and to emulate the principles of their lifestyle. Amen. Um, and I want you to put this in the, put this in the comments today. Um, imitate those who have had success in the kingdom. Put that in the comments today. Imitate those who have had success in the kingdom. That's an excellent, excellent way to begin. Imitate those who have had success in the kingdom. Why is that? Well, the, obviously the principles that they're using and living by will, will be the same things that will cause you to have success in the kingdom. 
Same thing. Imitate those who have had success in the kingdom. Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, encouraged it three times. Three times. And so it's, it's something we can see. You know, one of the other uh, words for this is just discipleship. This is truly what discipleship is. It's learning how to discipline yourself to follow the master. That's just principles that we learn. I'm looking at the, uh, as we get ready to start, I'm looking into uh, Paul's letter to Philemon. It's right before Hebrews and uh, right after Titus. But in Paul's letter to Philemon, very short, very short letter, we find something that's really, really interesting. Morning, Ted. We, f- we find something that's really, really interesting. Um, because Paul writes this letter to Philemon on behalf of a man named Onesimus. And he's encouraging Philemon to take Onesimus back because they've been separated. They've had a falling out because of some things that have happened. And um, Paul is asking that Philemon take Onesimus back. But as I was studying this letter, I'm in Philemon, there's only one chapter, but I'm going to start reading with verse number eight. Paul says, accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus. Now get this, very interesting. I appeal to you for what? My child, Onesimus. Well, we know that Onesimus was not his actual child. It's not his actual son. But it, he did become Paul's spiritual son. Look at this. Verse 11. Formerly, who, no, it says, my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. So notice that Paul became his father. So Paul connected with Onesimus and ended up becoming his spiritual father. Well, that means that Onesimus started to learn principles from the apostle Paul that changed his entire life and changed the trajectory of his life. So look at this in verse 11, parenthetical statement, formerly He, which he's referring to Onesimus, formerly he was useless to you, but now indeed he is useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. You want to hear something cool here is that there's, we don't, we don't understand this just by reading the English, but there's wordplay going on here in this passage. There's wordplay that Paul is, you know, it's almost ironic. It's almost, uh, it, it is, it's, it's an ironic thing because uh, you may have a footnote in your Bible that says Onesimus means useful. So how crazy is this, that the guy's name means useful, but Paul is acknowledging to Philemon, he was useless. <laughs> Mr. Useful was useless. That's what Paul's saying. Mr. Useful over here used to be useless. 
but I became his father in prison. And by the way, if you're just jumping on, take a minute to share this broadcast because it's going to help people. This is going to help people. He said he was useless, but now he's very useful both to you and to me. So I want you to see this and I want you to write this in the chat. Impartation will take you from useless to useful. Put that in the comments. Impartation will take you from useless to useful. Very important thought today. Very important thought today. Impartation will take you from useless to useful. And that's what Paul's saying here. I connected with Onesimus when I was in prison. I became his father when I was in prison. I, I began to teach him. He learned the principle. I imparted to him. And now impartation takes someone from being useless to useful. Very, very powerful thought here. And so there, there we see, now I'm sending him back to you and he's going to live up to his name. His name means useful and now he'll be useful. Very powerful. But notice how it took place. By spending time with Paul, by watching his life, by learning from him, and it caused him to increase to another level. And so that's what I'm teaching today, is that when you learn these lessons from other men and women of God that have gone before you, it can cause you to be more useful than you've ever been. It can cause you to be more impactful than you've ever been, and you can go to another level. And so I'll just kind of outline some of the principles, some of the lessons that I learned uh, from these powerful men of God that I just observed or heard them talk about, and uh, it'll, it's going to help you as well. Um, one of the first thing that I notice, and of course, may, many people may say, "Well, that just seems like that seems basic." But if you would see behind the scenes for many of these men of God, you'd realize that it's not simple and it's not uh, just something that can be swept under the rug. And that is this: all of these men that I just mentioned a moment ago, Brother Shambach, Brother Hagen, Brother Sumrall, Brother Osborne, Brother Bonke, the, the mighty men of God, they, number one, were dedicated to holiness. And I want you to put that in. That's the first principle. Number one, they were dedicated to holiness. No question about it. Now, I have seen, with the exception of Dr. Summerall, though my father knew Dr. Summerall, I have seen the lives of these other men and understood that these men had a deep dedication to holiness, without question. And if you've ever heard Pastor Adeboye's message that we've re recommended multiple times on the broadcast. If you haven't, you can go search it and, and watch it. Pastor Adeboye preached a message called the master key. And the master key was a message about the power of holiness, the power of living holy. And one of the things you'll find is that if people truly will 
live a holy lifestyle, separated unto God, that there are extreme blessings that are released to God's people because they've made a dedication to holiness. Psalm 84. And um, verse 11. Uh, the Bible says, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. And no good thing does he withhold. From who? From those who who walk uprightly. Talking about holiness. He will not withhold any good thing from those that walk uprightly. And so there are supernatural blessings that are released to people who truly will live set apart and live holy. No question about it. If we were to go back to a very familiar Psalm that you know, Psalm 1, it's saying the same thing, Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that bears fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither in all that he does. He prospers. What's another thing that you can see about these men of God that I mentioned all of their ministries prospered, all of their ministries prospered. Brother Shambach's ministry prospered. Brother Higgins did brother. Sumrall's did. Brother Osborne's did. Brother Bonkey's did. All of their ministries prospered. All of them. Why? They had a dedication to holiness. And the Bible principle is true that God will not withhold any good thing, not any, from those that walk uprightly. Not one good thing. He'll not hold back one good thing. And as I watch their lives, Every one of them was a holy man of God. And that's baseline. I mean, that is seriously baseline for anybody that wants to see God move. Holiness is required. You know, whenever you compromise, power begins to wane. The anointing begins to wane. And by wane, I mean diminish. Begins to diminish. The power of God begins to diminish. What did Paul teach Timothy? He taught Timothy that in any house, there are multiple types of vessels to be used. There are vessels of gold and silver, and then wood or clay. And he said, the vessels of gold and silver are for the master's use that he could use at any time, special, set apart. And not used for the common things, but the uncommon things. Whereas vessels of wood or clay are used for very common things. 
and that's, you know, it's, it's like the analogy I've given you multiple times about, you know, eating off, you know, Chinette plates versus the China when your family brings out the good stuff for Thanksgiving dinner or Christmas dinner or whatever it might be. Those things are reserved for the best. They're reserved for the best. And that's what Paul was teaching Timothy is that if you'll keep yourself as a vessel of gold and silver, not wood and clay, that you will be set aside and reserved for the best, for the best that there is from the Lord. And so that's the key. And I've seen that with all of those men. They had a dedication to holiness, a dedication to holiness. Number two, the second thing that was a common trait, seemingly, between these men is that they were men who would often and constantly pray in the Holy Ghost. They would pray in the Holy Ghost. And um, men that even knew them deeper would say that these, these men would take time, they would take their time to pray in the Spirit. I can remember somebody telling a story about Brother Hagin that traveled around with him and said that, of course, if you don't know this, Kenneth Hagin was, though, you know, great teacher and everything, but when he was, you know, with other people, he was very, very quiet, very reserved, didn't speak a whole lot. You know, if you went to dinner with him, he may not speak 10 words through the whole dinner. And um, <laughs> literally, very quiet man. But I've heard from multiple people who traveled with him that if he was on a car ride going somewhere or maybe just sitting in a room with someone or whatever, they'd say whenever he had the opportunity, you would just hear Brother Hagin praying in the spirit under his breath. Be sitting in the car ride. He'd just be praying in the Holy Ghost. Sitting in the room. He's praying in the Holy Ghost. Waiting to go and preach. He's praying in the Holy Ghost. And he just learned how to kind of pray without ceasing. And often praying in the Holy Spirit. Often praying in the Holy Spirit. Often praying in the Holy Spirit. Of course, all of the men that I mentioned to you are all Holy Ghost men. So Brother Shambach was Holy Ghost Pentecostal man. Same with Brother Sumrall. Brother Osborne, uh, Brother Hagen, Brother Bonky, all of the men that I'm talking to you about, Holy Ghost men. They're Holy Ghost men. And they just be praying in the Holy Ghost. Praying in the Holy Ghost. The man that I mentioned earlier, that Brother Schambach uh, was his associate, evangelist A.A. A. Allen. They said that he'd be up in the morning and you'd come out of your trailer at his tent and he'd be hanging off the side of the tent doing pull-ups praying in the Holy Ghost. And at night, you'd hear him in his trailer uh, before they'd all go to bed, but you'd hear him in there praying in the Holy Ghost, praying in the Holy Ghost, praying in the Holy Ghost. And so there's a common thread here that you see through all of these men that changed the world, shook their nation and other nations, is that they were not only dedicated to holiness, but they would often pray in the Holy Ghost. You know, Paul encouraged the church to pray without ceasing. Well, obviously you can't go through your entire 24-hour day praying without stopping. You'd never get anything else done. But what Paul was talking about is that you can always be in a constant attitude of prayer, an attitude of prayer. And then when you have opportunity, that's the wonderful thing 
about being filled with the Holy Spirit is that at any time, maybe you're driving in the car, you know, maybe you're on a flight, maybe you're doing some kind of a task at home, whatever it might be, and you can pray in the Holy Spirit even under your breath. I don't mean you have to be like, you know, Leslie's been waiting on people. It doesn't mean you have to walk through the restaurant screaming in tongues. It's like you might be thrown out of your own place of business. But I'm talking about just praying in the Holy Ghost, praying in the Holy Ghost, praying in the Holy Ghost. You've heard me share the testimony of when I uh, was on the plane, one of my first meetings ever, going up to Indiana, flying to Indianapolis. And uh, I said, you know, on this plane ride, I'm just going to pray in the Holy Ghost for the entire plane, plane ride. I'm not going to do anything else. I'm not going to read not going to listen to anything, just pray in the Holy Ghost. And so uh, I started to pray in tongues and it was a night flight. Started to pray in tongues. Well, they turned the lights off in the cabin and I'm praying in tongues, praying in tongues. And the Lord says to me, look over to your right. And when I look over, I can barely see anything because it's dark in the cabin. But the, the Lord said to me, as I'm praying in tongues, I got a word from the Lord. He said, the man on the far side began to pray for his eyesight. Well, I didn't know who he was and I couldn't even see him. But the Lord directed me, the man sitting next to the window on the far side of the plane, pray for his eyesight. Well, I start praying, start praying for him. And then the plane lands and we, we all stand up to get our bags. And I look and I can see now that he's got glasses, but when he turns to look at me, I see that one of his eyes is extremely lazy, hanging down. And, um, you know, it's kind of weird and hard to start a conversation with somebody about the gifts of the spirit. You know, it's like, Hey man, the Lord, I mean, that's all I had to say to him. I was like, Hey, I was, I wanted to say like, the Lord gave me a word for you on this flight. But like, you don't know where people are at. I was like, Hey, I was praying for you on our flight. He said, really? I said, yeah, the, the Lord had me to pray for you while, while we were flying. He said, that's interesting. He said, I'm Catholic. He said, the Lord speaks to me a little differently than he speaks to you. I said, well, that's fine. And uh, as we went out through the terminal in Atlanta, this was our layover, I'm, I'm pulling my bag next to his and we're talking. I'm encouraging his, his faith and everything. And we got to the place where we were going to part ways. And uh, I thought he would just run, you know, like, like this, this guy's nuts. I got to get out of here. And I said, man, I'd feel like I'd be missing it if I didn't pray for you before uh, we parted ways. And he put his bags down and lifted his hands in the, in the Atlanta airport. He said, let's do it. And I laid hands on him right there in the terminal power of God came on him. And I thought to myself later, if I had not yielded myself to praying in the Holy Ghost, would I have ever known to minister to that man? Would I have I ever known to pray for that man? I, I, I remember another time talking about direction. I was in the car and I did the same kind of thing years later, driving from Pittsburgh to Rochester, New York. And I said, you know, I'm just going to pray in the Holy Ghost. This was in 2015 seven years ago. I said, I'm just going to pray in the Holy Ghost for this entire car ride, car, entire car ride. Not going to listen to anything, not going to do anything else. And so I started praying. And I mean, as soon as I started praying in the Holy Ghost, the Lord started to speak to me and gave me directions about what to do next with our lives and ministry. And uh, that's when I got the word to move to Florida. And the Lord said, you're supposed to move your whole family to Florida, base your ministry there, which made no sense to me. I called Carolyn, told her she prayed in the Holy Ghost. I prayed in the Holy Ghost. God moved us here. And of course, you know the rest of the story that God has increased us every step of the way. All of these things. And I start to think to myself, what if I'd never prayed in the Holy Ghost? 
and see it's open access to the presence of God. And all of these men of God that I've been able to spend time with, I've noticed that they were all men who devoted themselves to praying in the Holy Spirit, to to pray in the Holy Spirit. Number three, the third thing that I've noticed about these, these generals in the faith, these mighty men of God, is that when the Lord spoke to them to do something, that they would quickly obey the Lord. That's number three. They quickly obeyed the Lord. They quickly obeyed the Lord. That if they got a leading from the Holy Ghost, they didn't put it off for five years. They didn't put it off for 10 years. And it didn't matter, by the way, if they had the resources to do it or not. They didn't care. They just quickly obeyed the Lord. Quickly obeyed the Lord. And they jumped right in. I can remember reading the story of, and you've heard me share it, of of Dr. Sumrall, how the Lord spoke to him as he had started Feed the Hungry, who we're still partnered with today. Um, The Lord had spoken to him that he was going to need a greater means of delivering this food to the nations. The cargo ships were taking too long. And uh, he knew by the Spirit that he was going to need a cargo plane. And the cargo plane that he truly needed was a government model C-130 cargo plane. And uh, it was classified technology. Classified military technology. And he literally stood in front of the government and asked them to uh, declassify the plans for the cargo plane so that he could buy one. And somebody asked him once, uh, how much money did you have set aside at the time to buy the cargo plane? He said, none, (laughs) I didn't have any money. I didn't have any money set aside. But he did it because he knew that was the next step. He knew that was the next step. And did you know that uh, because of his request, the government declassified the C-130 and made it available for civilian purchase. And when it was, his ministry was the first one, first civilian purchase of a C-130 cargo plane. And a man that didn't have the money previously. Uh, God provided it. And they bought him and began to feed the world through Feed the Hungry with the cargo plane. Quickly obeyed the Lord, though he had no resources in place to do it. He just stepped out and moved forward. I remember when we were sitting with Dr. Reinhard Bonnke that I mentioned earlier. um, And he was telling us that he had a heart to continue to do these overseas crusades. And those crusades, I mean, there, there were nights. I told you, I sat there and watched the videos and I was, I was crying. There were nights in those crusades where there were not just over a million people at the meeting. He had some nights where there were over a million people who answered the altar call 
Think about that for a minute. He showed me one night in Nigeria when 1.03 million people answered the altar call for salvation. And I'm sitting there watching people come forward and it's like, this is unbelievable. And he said to us at dinner, he said, you know, my ministry was getting ready to go under. We didn't have any money and we didn't have a way to continue doing these crusades and seeing people saved, but they kept doing them. And he said, do you know what God did? Now think of that. You're like on your way to bankruptcy. Think about it. You're on your way to ministry bankruptcy because you don't have the money, but you keep doing the crusades because you know God's called you to do the crusades. So you keep on being obedient. He said, God raised up a man. God raised up a man who began to sow into our ministry and sow into our ministry. And he said, from the late 80s, I believe it was, to the time we sat down with him, he said he's given close to $40 million to our ministry. $40 million. And, and, they, and he said, do you know who that man was? And he said, it was Brother Kenneth Copeland. Brother Kenneth Copeland. And God raised him up. Well, Brother Bunky never quit obeying the Lord. But notice as he was doing the work of God, God provided the resources. God provided the resources. And so uh, one thing I've seen about these different men of God is that they have quickly obeyed the Lord. They didn't delay in what God called them to do. They did not delay in what God called them to do. I can remember a, a story that made me laugh about Brother Sumrall. And that is that... Um, he was flying through uh, the United States back to another nation. I think he was flying from another nation. And this is before 9-11, obviously, when you could still meet people at the gate. And uh, a very grush, uh, a, a, a very gruff man, but they met him at the gate to give him bad news when he flew in. And um, they said, Brother Sumron, we've got bad news for you. And he like never stopped briskly walking. Uh, to the next gate where he had to fly out. What is it? They said, we're sorry to tell you that your TV station burned down and without even stopping the brisk walk to the next gate, he said, build another one and kept on going because he was sure in his spirit that if God has called me to do it, I'm not going to delay or think to myself, maybe I should stop or think to myself, maybe I'm in the wrong place. No, build another one and keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. They were quick to obey. I noticed that about every one of these men of God, that if God told them to do something, they did it and they did it quickly. They did it and they did it quickly. Powerful, very powerful. Number four, the fourth thing that I noticed about these men of God, all of them, is that 
they always kept to preaching a proper word. Proper doctrine. I noticed that. They never got off on weird things. Brother Shambach never got off on weird preaching and teaching. Brother Sumrall, Brother Osborne, Brother Bonkey, Brother Hagen. They never went off onto some fad or some weird thing. Never. They kept preaching proper sound doctrine for their whole ministry. Proper sound doctrine. You were never going to hear Brother Hagen get up one night and, and start preaching some weird thing about, you know, identifying uh, the demons that are attacking your bloodline. <laughs> you were never going to hear Brother Shambach get up and start talking about the power of dream interpretation. You knew, and see, here's why uh, I believe they stayed so strong for all the years that they did. You knew what you were going to get from their ministries. You knew that if you came to one of Brother Shambach's crusades, he was going to preach healing, faith, and deliverance and salvation. You knew what you were going to get. Healing, faith, deliverance, and salvation. And that's what he preached. You knew what you were going to get. If you went to see Brother Sumrall, for saw him on television. You knew what he was going to preach and speak. You knew what kind of a preacher he was. If you went to see Brother Hagin teach, you knew what you were going to get. Faith, Holy Spirit, you know, prophecy. He'd prophesy. You knew what you were going to get. And that's what it, that's what it was. They stayed on what God called them to do in preaching proper doctrine. Preaching proper doctrine. Let me tell you, one of the downfalls I see, especially in this generation, is, especially with social media, people get caught up in so many weird Christian fads instead of just sticking to proper doctrine. Go back yesterday and watch, watch yesterday's message that I, how to identify a false prophet or a false teacher. And there's all this weird stuff being taught and people get sucked in because the, the natural tendency is to want something new and, you know, something that's interesting and different. But, that's, but understand something. If people 2,000 years later are coming up with some kind of unique revelation nobody's ever heard before, there's a 99.9% .9 chance that it's false. That it's false. And they stuck to proper doctrine. They stuck to proper doctrine. That's number uh, four. Number five, and this is an important one. They stuck to what God called them to do. This is such a huge lesson that I wish everybody in the body of Christ could learn this one. They stuck to what God called them to do. That's number five. I saw it with every single one of them. Every single one of them. They stuck to 
what God called them to do. That's personal purpose. Personal purpose. Brother Shambach did what he was called to do for his whole life. His whole life. Preached revivals, set up the tent, tent revivals, saw people getting saved, healed, and delivered. And he never stopped doing it until he went home to be with Jesus. Brother Summerall did what God called him to do. Brother Osborne did what God called him to do. Brother Hagen did what God called him to do. And you can't say, well, Brother Hagen, you know, he was not uh, on the level of somebody else because, you know, he was wrong. You know, because there's people that think like this in, in the body of Christ. Brother Hagen was wrong, you know, because God's interested in souls. And so if Brother Hagen was truly doing what God called him to do, he'd have been out holding uh, crusades overseas and, and been a crusade evangelist. Oh, really? Because God never called him to do that. And he saw people saved all the time. But God didn't tell him to go overseas and hold outdoor crusades. That wasn't what God called him to do. He said, teach my, God spoke to Brother Hagin, teach my people faith. And so he stuck to doing what the Lord called him to do. Brother Bonke, he went and did what the Lord told him to do. Find out what the Lord wants you to do and do only that thing. Do only that thing. You know what's interesting is that, um, and this to me is very interesting. When I was younger, I used to, um, when I would meet any minister, and I'll still do it. If I were to meet any minister that I know had made a massive impact, I would always ask them, um, if you could go back in time and speak to the 30-year-old you or the 20-year-old you, what would you tell the younger version of yourself? And do you know what blew my mind? Many of these people didn't even know each other. Didn't even know each other. And they would give me the same answer. And they'd say, if I could go back in time and speak to the younger version of myself, he said, I would ask, they all said this, about 90% of them, I would find out what does God want me to do specifically, and then I would only do that thing for the rest of my life. That's, that's what they, they said. I would go back and find out what does God want me to do, get that information from the Holy Ghost, and then do only that thing for the rest of my life. And that's what I'm telling you these men did. They did what God called them to do. You never see them, you never saw them veer off. You never saw uh, Brother Hagin saying, you know what, we're done doing the, the all faiths crusades because the Lord, I feel like I'm supposed to start becoming a life coach. You never saw that stuff. You didn't see Brother Summerall or Brother Bonke or these other men say, well, you know, we're not going to be doing that anymore 
because the Lord has spoken to me to get into politics, meaning I'm going to run for office in my city. Pastors do that. There are pastors that will step down from their church because they're supposed to run for politics, they think. And so you didn't see that with these men of God that, that shook their nation, shook their world. They stuck to what God called them to do and they did it and did it and did it and did it until they died. They stuck to what God called them to do. Number six. Number six is this, and this is also an important one. These men always would disregard popular opinion. You saw it often. They would disregard popular opinion to, do, to continue to do what, what uh, God called them to do. Disregarded popular opinion. Did not allow the opinions of men and women to drive their ministries or lives. Didn't care. They didn't care. Do you know back when, uh, Brother Shambach, when I told you he was, um, he was an associate for Reverend A.A. A. Allen. Brother Allen would have massive, massive tent meetings. I mean, you talking huge, like go back and look if you can Google it, huge, huge tent meetings, a massive tent. And um, even denominations were angry at Brother Allen and tried to come after him. The government would be upset about it because even in that time, before the civil rights movement and all of that, we're talking the 50s, coming out of World War II, he refused to segregate his crowd. Brother Allen refused, though that was the popular thing of the day. You know, people can go to black churches, they can go to white churches. They've got their own church, let them go to their church. You know, people weren't even drinking out of the same water fountain. People couldn't even use the same bathrooms. And Brother Allen refused to segregate his tent meeting seating. And you sit back and it's like other people would have, you know, you're going to draw a line down the middle. Black people will sit in the back of the tent, white people in the front or on the side to side. And Brother Allen refused. He would not allow it. He would not allow his seating under the tent to be segregated. He understood that we're all God's people and that uh, God doesn't look at that. There's no prejudice in God. And so he wouldn't do it. And so though, even though it was the popular thought, it was the popular culture of the day, it was the way things were done, he didn't care. His ministry was not driven by popular opinion. It was not driven by popular opinion. Brother Bonke had a word about this when we were with him for lunch one time. And Brother Reinhard Bonke was giving some uh, insight and he said this. He said, if people's praise can't build you up, then their criticism can't tear you down. What a word that was. What a word that was. If people's cr- praise can't build you up, 
then their criticism can't tear you down. Man, put that in the comments. That is a massive lesson to learn for everybody. Everybody. If people's praise can't build you up, then their criticism can't tear you down. That right there will make you shout. That'll make you shout. And so what he's saying is so many people get discouraged because other people don't approve of what they're doing. They get all bent out of shape. People don't like what I'm doing. People don't like the message that I preached. People don't like it. And you got to do what God called you to do rather than what people approve of. If people's praise can't build you up, then their criticism can't tear you down. Absolutely right. It's absolutely right. And trust me, there will be people that the devil will try to send. They will, the enemy will try to send people to you to tear you down. He will try to send people to discourage you. <laughs> you might be like Nehemiah on the wall building the vision of God and here comes Sambalat and Tobiah to tell you to come down off the wall. Come down off the wall. You gotta be like Nehemiah. I'm not coming down to talk to you. I don't have time to stop what I'm doing. I don't have time to stop moving forward. Don't let people tear you down because they don't approve of what God called you to do. Don't let the, the modern day culture, society, whatever, stop you from doing what God's called you to do. You gotta be like that. If their praise can't build you up, their criticism can't tear you down. That's important because you start to recognize that um, we like the praise part. And that's the trap, isn't it? Because it's the praise part that hooks us in to the opinions of others, right? That is the trick. That is the trick. It's the praise part that hooks you into the opinions of others. Ooh, they liked it. They liked what I did. They liked what I said. Oh, they liked my idea. And then they get all excited. Oh, people are loving what I'm doing. People are like, who cares? Who cares if people like what you're doing as long as what you're doing is in obedience to the instructions of God for your life? I don't care. You know, we've got to start realizing that our lives are meant to please one person. One person. That's God alone. If he is pleased with our lives, then it doesn't matter who's displeased. If he's pleased, it doesn't matter who's displeased. If he's pleased, it doesn't matter who's displeased. Very important. And so I noticed that about all these men of God. They didn't care. They didn't care what other people thought. They kept on moving forward. They got, people got mad because of the race thing, mad at what they'd preach, mad at how they'd minister, mad that they'd stand up for what's right, mad that they'd stand for what's holy. They didn't care. They weren't going to alter their ministries to please the crowd. That's not, that is not how you please the Lord. Here's why. Many times, 
And I would say most of the time. What you'll do for God will be very unpopular in the world. Right? Anything you do for the Lord, of course the Antichrist system is going to hate it. This world system is going to hate it. But remember, it's not about what's pleasing to the world. We're, by the way, living in the last moments of the last days. And Paul prophesied that in this time we're living, that there would be people, even Christians. Now, we know sinners, those that are anti-Christ, they'll never like what we do. They'll never like how we live. But the Bible says in the last days, there would be even Christians who will start to accumulate to themselves preachers and teachers that would only tell them what they want to hear instead of what they need to hear. And so it's, it's, a, it's a spirit that's taken hold in the last days that now you've got men that will alter their message based on what's popular, what's a fad, that will alter their message. They will start, uh, they will start preaching and teaching things that that's contrary to the scripture, but man, people love to hear it. You know, I've, I've gone on at length. I've gone on the hyper grace message on this broadcast talking about, uh, how people would love, they love to hear that stuff, man. Cause it makes you feel good in your flesh, makes you feel so good in your flesh, but it's not scriptural. It's not scriptural. And so as a result, it leads people into destruction, but man, do their ears love to hear it in the last days. Man, do their ears love to hear it. Doesn't matter what you do. God's going to bring you into overflow, double portion, get ready. And they love to hear it. It's not based on what you do. It's based on what he did. And then people get all excited. They start shouting. Oh, that's it. Come on, somebody. It doesn't matter what I'm doing right now. It doesn't matter what I, the sin that I'm living in. It doesn't matter that I don't tithe. It doesn't matter that I won't give. It doesn't matter that I'm not faithful to church. God's getting ready to take me into a double portion. No, he's not. No, he's not. And so it's a temptation, especially right now in the final moments of time. It's a temptation to start pleasing the crowd. There's, remember this, the flow, the ebb and the flow of the world is headed that way. It's headed that way. They don't like people going against the grain, the narrative, the popular thought, the popular culture. They don't like it. They don't like it. They don't want it. But that means there's got to be strong people like the Victory Tribe who do not care what popular thought is. You know, you're, you are hated on in the current year in which we're living. You're hated on. If you don't agree and bow your knee to the LGBTQ community, you are hated on. You're treated like you're the next Hitler. If you don't bow your knee to that thought process, to that community, you're hated. All the things that are going on in our world. If you don't believe in the fluidity of gender, the fluidity of preference, you're so archaic. You're a caveman. You might as well be living in medieval times. You know, you're hated on. If you don't agree with this world system, 
If you don't agree with the, 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 the modern definition of what marriage is and should be, you're archaic. It's a spirit. And so all of the great men of God that I ever had an opportunity to be around, they did not care one bit about the popular culture, the popular thought. They didn't care about the approval of men. They did what God called them to do. That's what they did. They did what God called them to do. Amen. And Karen, that really is what the Bible teaches. Karen wrote, I would rather fellowship with a faithful few than be with a massive crowd of false followers. And the Bible is very clear. First of all, that it will not be the majority of people who are saved at large in the world. The Bible says it's a straight and a narrow path and few there be that find it. So it won't be the majority that finds it and follows it. It'll be the few. But God will always have a remnant set aside in any period of time that will not bow their knee to the spirit of this world. Elijah found that out when he was depressed. He said, Lord, I'm the last one that follows you. I'm the last one that'll obey. He said, no. God said, no, you're not the last one. I've got a crowd of other people that have not bowed their knee to Baal and the spirit of Baal. That's right, Hope. Hope said it's a privilege to be hated for standing up for what's righteous. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And that's why, that there, that's why there's a special blessing, the Bible teaches, that comes upon people who are martyred, who are not just hated, but killed for standing up for what's righteous. It's a privilege to serve the Lord. It's a privilege to stand up for God. So once again, these men were holy. These men would pray in the spirit. They were quick to obey the voice of the Holy Ghost. They stuck with proper teaching, proper doctrine. They stuck with what God called them to do in their own lives. And finally, they disregarded all public popular thought and just did what God told them to do. Did what God told them to do. Did what God told them to do. And so I'm, I'm going to pray because one of the things that I've been believing for is that we'd see more people stand up. We'd see more people on fire for God than we've ever seen. Everywhere I go, I can't even tell you, every single place I go, I see hunger like I've never seen it. A hunger for God. Now, you may say, well, that's because of what's going on in the world. People are starting to realize they need help. They need a savior. They need God to move. That might be. The church has always flourished in times of persecution. The church has always grown in times of uncertainty. And you can look around the world and see all that's happening today and realize they are, these are times of uncertainty. These are times where there are, look, you look around, it seems like there's trouble in the world. But let me tell you, don't lose heart, don't be afraid, don't be uh, uh, discouraged because of what's going on. Lift up your head and be excited that God is moving on our behalf, that revival is hitting our nation, that people are going to be saved. This is going to be the greatest season the church has ever seen in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And I want to pray for you today that these things that I've seen that have been at work in men and women that have shaken their generation are going to be at work in you and you're going to shake your generation. 
You're going to shake your city, your neighborhood, your, whatever it might be where you're at, your school, your workplace. God's going to use you to bring his power to those that are around you and make you an impactful believer in the final moments of time. Father, we come to you today in the mighty name of Jesus. And Lord, we desire to see your anointing and your power at work to see you move in our lives like you never have. Lord, I ask you in Jesus' name, give us a greater hunger to pray in the Holy Ghost. Lord, let us always be supernaturally quick to obey your voice when you speak. Let us stick on the word of God and never stray into some fad or false doctrine. And Lord, we ask you, if there's people watching, they don't know what they're called to do, they don't know who they're called to be, reveal it to them, Lord. Let this be a, the week that they finally recognize their purpose and their calling. And then, Lord, let us only do ever what you've called us to do in your mighty name. And we thank you for that. Lord, I ask you to give us a strength and a fortitude on the inside to always go against the grain of the spirit of this world, to always go against what the Antichrist agenda wants. We will never bow our knee. We will never bow our knee in the mighty name of Jesus. We thank you for that. We give you praise for that. Use every one of us for your glory in Jesus' wonderful and mighty name. And if you believe it, shout amen, throw some fire up in the comments section. Let me know you're standing with me and believe in God for miracles. At the end of the broadcast, I'm going to give you an opportunity to sow. Sow a seed by faith, miracleword.com. All the ways to give are there. You know how to sow. I want to say thank you to those that are already standing with us as monthly partners. And if you've not partnered with this ministry, I want you to consider standing with us every month in partnership. Carolyn and I are doing all that we can to reach people for Christ. And of course, we're getting ready to leave again on Saturday. And uh, it's three straight weeks of revival coming up. All the dates are on the website. We'd love to see you live. Um, but we're going to be in Crossroads Community Church in Fitchburg, Mass, starting Sunday. Ithaca, New York, uh, the following week. And Imlay City, Michigan, the following week. And then back to Horseheads, New York, uh, for the Uproar Partner Night uh, in April. So uh, jam-packed three weeks. We'd love to see you at any of those live services. In the month of March, for those of you that are partnering with us, we want to send you uh, Brother Hagen's book, I Believe in Visions. And uh, this will not only build your faith, it'll change your life. It did mine. We got this book in Bible school. And then for those that are standing at 250 or more, uh, there is another book we'd like to send you on top of that one called The Miracle of the Scarlet Thread. And then for those sewing at $1,000 or more, we're going to include the Net Study Bible, 60,000 translators' notes. And we say thank you. Cannot wait to see you in Imlay City, Charlene. And uh, we'll be Fitchburg, Ithaca, Imlay, and then back to Horseheads. Uh, it's going to be a great three weeks of revival. So we want to see you there. And uh, don't forget, Bible Study Made Simple. The registration opens in less than two weeks. Uh, the website will be up very soon for you to check out all the details, everything that's happening. I really want to see you guys uh, join that and be a part of this with us. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be really amazing. I love you all very much. Thank you so much for hanging with me today. Uh, I will see you again in the morning. Have a powerful, powerful day. And I'll talk to you again very soon. Later.
Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.